You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. All right, today we are starting a brand new series on an Old Testament book. It's the book of Esther. It's one of two books in the entire Bible that is named after a woman. The other one being Ruth. Hey, boy, y'all are on it. As we begin, Esther, I want to give you a little bit of background and history. It's one of the last books written in the Old Testament, so about 2,500 years ago. We don't know who the author is, but we do know that Jews in particular have an affinity for this book because it gives the details of the beginnings of one of their feasts, the Feast of Purim, that we'll hear about in the weeks to come. Christians, however have not really known what to do with this book. For the first seven centuries of the Christian church, zero commentaries were written on the book of Esther. We just stayed away. We didn't know what to do with this particular book. And part of the reasons Christians have kept a distance is that it's difficult to interpret. At no point does the book of Esther offer any internal motivation for what's going on, nor does it tell us anything from God's perspective. It doesn't give commentary, it's history. So some of you might ask, well, what does the rest of the Bible have to say about Esther? Nothing. It is never referenced in any other book of the Bible. But we are going to spend our time over the next several weeks going through Esther. We do this because the Bible says that all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. So that includes Esther, right? Well, we'll start with a who. Who is the first character that we are introduced to in this epic story? Well, here's what we read in Esther 1.1. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. Now, if you look at this in your own Bible, you may have a different translation, and it gives a different name for him, Ahasuerus. Well, that's his Hebrew name. His Greek name is Xerxes. You've probably heard of Xerxes. He's, that, that name has appeared in movie titles and, and video games. Now, Xerxes was a great Persian king who ruled and reigned at the time of human history, he towered over it. At this point, he's probably in his 30s. We're going to read in a few moments that this is the third year of his reign. He came to the throne when he was about 32. So we're talking, he's about 35 or 36 at this point. This is a man who grew up very wealthy. He is commented upon at quite some length by a Greek historian by the name of Herodotus. And we'll garner a lot about this king Xerxes from that Greek historian Herodotus. And by the way, the way that this would normally work is that whenever a nation won, if there was a battle and this particular nation won, they would hire an historian to write the story. So it was less of history, more PR. However, Herodotus does something different. He tried to be objective and neutral, and he would go and interview eyewitnesses to the event. And so that way, he looks at the event from all sides. Much of what he writes about centers 
on the Persian Empire and around this leader, Xerxes. So we're introduced to Xerxes, and here's what else we're told about him. This Xerxes, who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. The big idea is this. He is the most powerful man on earth. No one rules like Xerxes rules. His father, Darius, who's also mentioned in the Bible, was a legendary king who reigned for some 36 years and expanded his empire by conquering and assimilating multiple nations. Darius and his son Xerxes, if they had any religion at all, it would be paganism. They do not worship the true God of the Bible. And we're told that they're living in the city of, of Susa, the citadel. That's where the palace is. Here's verse 2 to, to proclaim that. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. If you want a modern-day place for this, it's around Iran. So we're talking far away from Jerusalem, far away from the temple, far away from the priesthood. The question arises then, is God working in history just in Jerusalem or is he working in other places in the world as well? Is he present just at the temple or is he present elsewhere? And the great story of Esther will show, yes, God is at work beyond the borders of Israel, beyond Jerusalem to even pagan godless nations like the Persian Empire. King Darius had this enormous empire that he gave to his son Xerxes. And Xerxes is just this narcissistic rich kid who grew up in the palace, didn't work a day in his life, didn't go to war, didn't fight, didn't labor, didn't struggle. And because the nations have changed names over the millennia, let me give you an idea. He basically ruled from Sudan all the way to Pakistan today. So imagine one ruler, one political, spiritual ruler, if you will, rising up with such power that they can turn Egypt, Libya, Syria, Israel, Turkey, Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Afghanistan, and Pakistan into one nation under one rule. Today, that's unheard of. Just to get any two of those nations to, to connect, it would be a miracle. You know that a king and a kingdom is great when he can turn enemies into his kingdom, all subject to his rule. Now, Xerxes is nothing short of a god in the minds and eyes of the people to which he is overseeing. There is no one at his level of authority and power. There has never been to this point in the history of the world an empire as large, as vast, as affluent, as powerful. You cannot overstate who Xerxes was. When he would give a decree, it was like a word from God. And it was to be believed that he was a God-man. Hmm. Sound familiar? He called himself the king of kings. Sound familiar? And it was believed that when he spoke, he spoke with the voice of the son. And when he said something, it was like scripture. It was to be believed 
It was perfect, and it was to be immediately obeyed. Now, now let me tell you about his throne. His throne symbolized everything he valued. The throne was beautiful, enormous. It was glorious. And the picture of him seated high on that throne was a godlike portrait. He loved his throne so much that when his army would go into battle, he would have his throne carried to the battle. He would sit on it, surrounded by his guards, which were called the immortals. They would carry him off to war, and he would sit on a, on a hill looking down on the army that's destroying the enemy. If you and I, or I were to sit on his throne, death would be the penalty. If you or I were to stand on the rug in front of his throne, death would be the penalty. When we pass before him or just his throne, even if he's not seated on it, we were to bow in homage and worship and adoration and humility before the great King Xerxes. He was a God. He was worshiped as a God. So what is he going to do with all this splendor and wealth? What is he going to do with all this power and fame? Is he going to care for widows and orphans and those in need? Is he going to look after young girls who in this day could have been very abused? Is he going to look out for kids who don't have a dad and care for them? No, no, and no. Here's what he does. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and the nobles of the provinces were present. So what does he do with all his money and wealth and power and prestige and authority? He throws parties, enormous parties. Now, one thing as we study Esther, there are between eight and ten banquets listed in this book. Um, commentators aren't sure exactly how many are detailed, but something significant seems to happen at every one of them. So here's the first one of many. And the way it would work would be like this. You may wonder, okay, how does he maintain his rule over his kingdom? How does he keep everybody in line? Well, it's easy. You get all these military and political leaders, you invite them to your palace, you give them the best drink, you hand them the most beautiful harem, you lavish gifts of gold and silver on them, and everybody will want to do everything for you because you care for them. <laughs> this is their tax dollars at work. Now, let me ask, if you were given an unlimited amount of power and wealth, what would you do? Some of you are like, well, I feed the poor you would throw a party and you would invite lots of important people just so they could get a photo with you and you could post it on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. You know, here I am with Puff Daddy and Puff Mama and Puff Baby. We're all puffed up and I've got rims on my chariot and this is high society. We're rolling and I'm with musicians and political leaders and heroes. All the people you see on TV and read about it, the grocery counter. They all want to be with me because they know I'm in charge. 
How long do you think that party lasts? Well, this is crazy. Next verse. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. How many days? 180. First of all, that definitely means it's a time of peace. If all the military and political leaders are there, you know that the kingdom is running well. In addition, do the math with me. Think about it. Six-month party for what some commentators say may be as many as 15,000 people. Have you ever hosted a dinner party one night and you're like, I got to sleep for a month? Six-month party. (laughs) Why? Why does he do this? Because he loves people, because he's nice, because he's generous. No, verse 4, one more time. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. He did it because he wanted to show his glory. That's a worship word. Here's what it's all about. Everyone, come see the glory of the king. He's high and exalted and seated on a throne. Now, that does sound familiar. We are going to gather around a throne from all nations and eat and drink and sing praises of, in this case, King Xerxes, While he sits on his throne and receives glory and honor and to be worshipped as a God, it's all about his glory. But folks, we believe that glory is reserved for another king. His name is Jesus. Another king who sits himself upon a throne and he rules and reigns like no one else. In other words, this man wanted to be Jesus. He thought he was Jesus. Now, how many of us, given the same resources, we would have maybe made the same decisions? How many of us, really, when it comes to our wealth, it's about showing our glory? So the car that we drive, is it so that people can say, wow, did you see that? The house that we go to, is it, hey, I'm showing, this is what I have made happen. There's something in all of us that wants to be a king. There's something that we want to think about all the glory coming toward us. The difference between us and him was the amount of the wealth and opulence and resources that he had available. This was all about the king being exalted in glory. A mere man acting like the God-man. Well, the story continues, verse 5. When these days were over, okay, six months of partying. So let me say this. Do you know what this looks like? Can you conceive what this looks like? It's six months. All expenses paid, free harem, open bar, all-you-can-eat buffet. It's even where Charlie Sheen is in the corner shaking his head going, this is too much. And here it goes. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet. So here's another banquet. Lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people, 
This is the next part of that verse. For all the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. For six months, 15,000 political and military leaders had an enormous party. And then King Xerxes opens the palace for all the regular folks living in the palace confines. Everybody gets a one-week party. So Xerxes says, first of all, hey, you get one week off work, national holiday. (laughs) Yay, Xerxes. And then I'm going to open the palace. Ooh, (laughs) hey, did you see the throne? Yeah, man, that's nice, isn't it? And and, Oh, and there are the jewels. And and there's the the dining room. And, And there's the royal bedroom. And you get to see the majesty and splendor of this king and his kingdom. It's an opportunity for the poor peasants, the simple workers, the commoners to parade through in admiration. I mean, this palace is nice. It makes the Biltmore home look like camping. Let's read of it. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings on marble pillars. There were couches of gold and silver. On a mosaic, now we're talking the floor, on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, which is purple quartz, marble, mother of pearl, other costly stones, (laughs) they're walking on jewels. Wine was served in goblets of gold, each one different from the other. And the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. So the guests come in, maybe 50,000, and each one is handed a gold goblet. In their hands is more money than they will earn in their lifetime. Think about it. If you have 50,000 guests, how many place settings do you need? That's a lot, right? The story continues. What goes in the gold goblets? Royal wine. Now, there's two kinds of wine. There's wine and there's royal wine. Now, imagine this. 15,000 people have had an open bar for six months and now some 50,000 for another week. And here are the rules. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions. For the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. You can drink whatever you you want, whenever you want, as much as you want. Imagine telling 50,000 people they had a week to drink, no restrictions. How many of you really have had days like that? Maybe not 180. Maybe you've had seven. No limitations, no inhibitions, no restrictions, just full throttled sin. Whether it's drunkenness, gluttony, perversion, overindulgence. And what can happen is that we can kind of look at them sort of religious-like. Like, wow, those are some nasty people. That's terrible. It's like you need hand sanitizer just to read the story. But then some of us, if we're honest, we would say, been there, done that. I understand. I understand how sinful people can be. And when given the opportunity, they tend to prefer opportunities for evil. 
You may be wondering, what about the ladies? How many of you ladies would not want to be at that party? (laughs) Okay, all of you would not want to be. Especially the party that was the military and political leaders for six months. 15,000 drunk men. There's nothing good that's going to happen there. Also, it was customary for husbands and wives to dine together, but not this time. So we read in verse 9. We finally get another character, the queen. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. So all the men are drinking, feasting, partying. And there are women in that party, but what kind of women? The employed women of the palace who serve in the harem. Over in another room, in another part of the palace, Queen Vashti has gathered the women. Because you know where there are no rules, men will be animals, right? All the women would have been abused, used. Needless to say, Xerxes was a perverted man. He married Vashti. But do you know who she was originally married to? Xerxes' brother. Yeah, this is the sister-in-law. He stole her. He thought that his brother's daughter was attractive too, so he stole her and married her. In addition, there are many other wives that he married as well as the harem. Herodotus, that Greek historian, said that for the last 15 years of Xerxes' life, he hardly Tended to matters of state. He was totally consumed with the harem and all the women who would just meet all of his evil, sick, selfish, abusive desires. But as we condemn their overindulgence, overindulgence, we need to condemn our overindulgence. If we were content to condemn their desire for glory, then that's what we need to do when it comes to Facebook and Twitter and all the social media things. You know, photos and quotes and everything that I'm doing because the whole world needs to hear and see me. I am central and essential and there are things that are going on about me that are glorious and you need to see them and you need to praise me so you can post it on my wall. Times have changed. The hearts have not. Now, at this point, Xerxes would have been so proud. Look at me in all of my glory. But it reveals something of a very wicked, selfish, narcissistic desire to be God, to sit on a throne, to rule over nations, to ravage and abuse women, to indulge in food, to drink in excess. My question to you, think about this for a moment. As we've read these opening verses of Esther, what's missing? Let me ask it another way. Who's missing in this story? God. We just read the first nine verses. God is not mentioned once. God doesn't appear. Well, you might say, okay, well, what if we keep reading the book? Read the whole book of Esther. God is never mentioned once. He doesn't appear. He doesn't speak. 
No prophet speaks on God's behalf. No angel shows up. There's no mention of Jerusalem or the temple or the presence of God. There's no mention of the priesthood or the sacrificial system to declare one free from sin. There's no quoting of other books of the Bible. There's no giving of God's law. No one repents. There's no action from God or to God directly revealed. But for how many of you, does this sound like your life? You're like, I've never seen a miracle. I've heard about them. But God has never shown up in my life that way. How many of you have never heard from God? You've never gotten a dream, a vision, an audible voice. You've never been visited by an angel. You're sick and you've not been healed. You've prayed and you've not gotten the answer. For how many of you, that's your life. It, it feels like the story of Esther. Dirty, rich men rule the world. I'm grinding it out. And God doesn't show up. And it seems to beg all kinds of questions. God, do you even exist? Or Xerxes, really God, is this the best we have? God, if you do exist, are you paying attention at all? Are you like an absentee landlord? God, do you lack the power to do anything? Is your glory not greater than the Xerxes of the world? Is your throne not above their throne? Where is he? Women are being abused. Money is being misspent. Men think they are God. Where is God? Where is God in the story of Esther? I'll tell you where he is. He's what one commentator called silhouetted in the book. What does a silhouette do? It paints a portrait through absence. God appears in the story of Esther, but he does so silhouetted. He's not there. So it is with a silhouette. When you, when you see it, you can't make anything out of it. Then all of a sudden you look at the absence and it reveals something that you missed in the first place. God is silhouetted in the book of Esther. And I'll add that God is at work in Esther all throughout, not with the visible hand of miracle, but with the invisible hand of providence. Because you see, we know history is not just circumstance, happenstance, just chance. History is governed by providence that God is sovereign and good, that God rules and reigns over all places and times and people, that God is in the details of history, that God is working everything out according to a plan in which God gets the glory and it's for our good. And for those of you who feel like You've been living the story of Esther. I want you to know that God is at work in your life as well. You may never hear a voice. You may never see his face in this life. No angel may come. No healing may occur. No pr the prayer may not get answered. Yes, the voice of God may not thunder down, but God is active and present even in those that are far away from him as they were. I hope that in hearing the story, these first nine verses of Esther, you feel an emptiness inside, an emptiness as in, is this all we get? <laughs> A guy who comes to power and we have to proclaim him as God, 
until he dies and then another nation comes to power and we have to proclaim that leader as God until he dies? Is that it? There's got to be more. The good news is there is more. Above Xerxes is another king. This is not the only book in the Bible. This is just part of the storyline that leads to a greater king. Above Xerxes is another throne, and seated on that throne is another king named Jesus. And Jesus is our king. And unlike Xerxes, Jesus got off of his throne. He didn't just come for us to sit around him. He came first to dwell among us. Here's what Xerxes says about himself. This was discovered, it was uncovered by archaeologists. This is what he said about himself. I am Xerxes, the great king, the only king, the king of all countries which speak all kinds of languages, the king of this entire and far-reaching earth. Xerxes thought he was Jesus. Xerxes was the son of Darius. Jesus is the son of God. Xerxes never tasted poverty or humility. Jesus tasted both to identify with us. Xerxes used his power to abuse women. Jesus used his power to honor women. Xerxes spent his entire life being served. Jesus used his entire life serving others. Xerxes killed his enemies with an army of perhaps millions. But Jesus died for his enemies, saving billions. Xerxes sat on a throne in Susa. Jesus sits on a throne in heaven. Xerxes died, and today, no one worships him as a god. Jesus conquered death, and today, billions worship Jesus as the only god. Xerxes thought he was a man who became a god. Jesus is God who became a man. Xerxes throws enormous banquets, but the one Jesus is preparing for us makes his pale in comparison. That makes today a day of celebration. We are citizens of a greater kingdom. We have received a greater gift. We are looking forward to a greater blessing. And we gather in the name and in the presence and in the fame of Jesus Christ. He is our great king. He is a better king than any king and every king. He is the king of kings. Why would we settle for anything less? We are here to celebrate Jesus. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.